Well, man, we really hope you can join us for this conference coming up. And, and like Steve said, the, the sign-up deadline is next week, so make sure you get Jeff your deposit and get signed up. We'd love to have you join us for this conference. It's going to be a lot of fun down in Chicago. If you have your Bibles, join me in the book of James. We are going to dive into our new study this week. I've been excited about this for a while because James is a very practical, very in-your-face book that deals with really, really, really practical, everyday living questions. James does not leave any, any, anything nebulous or wishy-washy. He doesn't beat around the bush. He goes right directly to the issues, the heart issues that we find in our lives. And so I'm excited about this study, and I have already discovered that it is going to be convicting. So I, I invite you to join me in that. And we're going to dive right in, starting in James chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going to read the first four verses of the book together. So if you have found James in your copy of God's Word, I would love if you followed along with me as we read these four verses. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I want to say just a few words to introduce the book to us as we get ready to walk through this. I want, to have, I want you to have a little bit of an idea of who, who's writing and, and what the occasion was. It tells us right off the bat who the author is. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The New Testament mentions three different Jameses. He doesn't in this verse distinguish which one he is. But we can gather a few things and come to a a pretty good conclusion. Really, uh, one was just, one James is only just mentioned briefly and obscurely. And there are really two James that we could consider as, as the probable authors of this book. The first one is James, the brother of John. You know, Jesus, when he ministered, he had 12 disciples. But then if you'll recall, he had kind of an inner circle of three, Peter, James and John. Well, well, James and Peter, uh, they were the, the sons of Zebedee. They were, they were, you know, they were close, and they were, they were nicknamed the th- sons of thunder. They were passionate guys. And that particular James was an important man in the early church, and you'll see him pop up a couple of times after the resurrection in the book of Acts. But we discover in Acts chapter 12 that that particular James, the brother of John, was martyred um, Acts chapter 12 gives that account. Herod put him to death. And so most scholars believe that he probably did not author the book. Most, most likely he was probably uh, already had been martyred by the time the book was written. And so most scholars and kind of church tradition lands on the, the third option. It's James, the brother of Jesus. I, I don't know if you knew that or not. Jesus had several half-brothers when, uh, after he was born. And Joseph and Mary married. They had uh, four other kids, uh, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Uh, during Jesus' ministry, John 7, 5 tells us that his brother James was not a believer. In fact, it says none of his brothers believed in him. And that kind of makes sense. I mean, you know, you've got a brother working miracles, never can do anything wrong. There's probably got to be a little bit of sibling rivalry, a little competition. And so that, that whatever was going on there drove a wedge there. And they, they, were not, they were not believers in their brother. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah. 
at least at that point. Something changed in the life of James, the brother of Jesus. And as we'll talk about later down the road in, in this series, I believe it had to do with the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 says that Jesus appeared to him after he rose again from the dead. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 15, this James, the brother of Jesus, is a pillar in the church at Jerusalem, so much so that he's leading a council there to settle matters of doctrine and disputes that were existing. He'd become an important man in the church at Jerusalem. And I believe that that is probably who wrote this letter somewhere around the early 40s AD. In fact, most scholars believe that this was probably the first New Testament letter written um, chronologically, even though it shows up towards the end of our Bible. James became a faithful follower of Christ, and church tradition tells us, uh, the, the historian Josephus records that this James uh, was martyred when he was stoned to death at the orders of the uh, Sadducean high priest Annas around 62 AD. And so this was a man who was faithful to God, who cared about his, his, his people, his brothers and sisters, those who he had been, uh, been commissioned to shepherd and lead. And it's this James who is writing. And if you're filling out the notes, I want to make sure that I throw slides up there if you're following along um, with the blanks. I want to make sure I don't get behind here. Um, So we have as author, James, the brother of Jesus. The the recipients were most likely Jewish believers who had been scattered by persecution. One one scholar says the readers seem to have been Jewish Christians who had left their homes in Palestine and were facing economic distress, including persecution at the hands of wealthy landlords. And we'll see that come up, the, the rich and the poor distinction. But what happened was James had his flock here in Jerusalem, his, his, his spiritual children. And as persecution came, the people went out. And because of famine, because of economic difficulties, they were hurting and struggling. They'd been displaced from their homes. And they were being exploited by others who had, had actually at least were professing to call themselves Christians. And James is writing to deal with this, to encourage and strengthen them, and at the same time rebuke those who were oppressing them. And we're going to see those themes repeat several times throughout the letter. Um, This letter is a very practical letter. It's a very, uh, in fact, there um, there are over 50 commands, 50 imperative tenses in the book's 108 verses. James is clear that they understand what it is that God wants them to be doing. And even though it's very practical, it's not that James is not concerned about theology. But here in this particular letter, he is more concerned about the practical outworking of their theology. If you read, for example, Paul's epistles, I mean, he is, he, he's, he's concerned about practical stuff, but he hones in on the theological. He wants to make sure that our beliefs are lined up with God's truth. Well, James has that same passion, but he says, I want to put a little more emphasis here on putting that into practice now. And so they really, their writings complement each other very, very well. There's, there's a lot of undertones of the Sermon on the Mount that are echoed throughout this book. Um, one pastor said, just because it's a practical letter doesn't mean it's an easy letter to read. Oh, it's very easy to understand, but James is so plain spoken that he steps on our toes. And we need that. We need God, by his divinely inspired word, to step on our toes, to 
to enter into our comfort zone and to make us uncomfortable with our sins, to convict us of it, and to spur it and to spur us on to righteous living. So I want to challenge you and, and let you know right from the outset that this is going to be a, sto- a toe-stepping kind of a book. This is going to get uncomfortably close to the real issues and maybe pet sins or things that we have ignored and wanted to try to push by the wayside because God is very concerned with our holiness in a day-to-day basis. And so the theme of this book, the theme of our series is faith, at work. You know, when you're driving down, construction season is almost upon us, and you're driving, you're going to be driving down the highway, and inevitably you'll come to those signs that say, men at work. And I know that, I know the jokes, it's like sometimes you see the signs, but there's, there's no actual men at work. It seems like those signs will stay up all summer, and you might see a few days of people out there, but uh, all the jokes by the wayside, you know, whether or not those signs mean anything to you when you're driving, they, they should. They should indicate that there's something going on here. And that is what James wants us to understand. He says, listen, as you read this book, as you hear this truth, I want you to understand that there should be some activity going on, that, that your faith should be at work. We don't want just signs. We don't want just creeds or or verbal expressions of belief. But we want to see it coming out. We want to see it in action. The dominant theme then is faith that is real and genuine works practically in one's life. And James is going to to show us how to do that. I want to consider these uh, just three verses this morning, 2, 3, and 4. And fill out a, a couple of things in your outline as we go along. As, as we read these first three verses, or these first four verses, I, James just starts it off with a, a very blunt and encouraging challenge. And so if you're filling out the blanks, we have here a shocking command. Did you hear, did you hear verse 2 when we read it the first time? I'll read it again for you. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I would kind of rather that was not in Scripture. I would kind of rather that he was not so outspoken about my attitude when things aren't going my way. I would much rather James said, maybe tolerate it, my brothers, when you meet trials of very kind. Just get through it, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Pray like crazy that it just goes away when you encounter trials of various kinds. Or or, uh, you have my permission to complain all you want, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. I don't, I I read this and I think, are you serious, James? And I studied this. I looked at different translations. I looked at the Greek and you know what it means? It means count it all joy when you encounter difficult times. He says, listen, you're going to bump up against bad news. You're going to encounter, and that's kind of the word, that's the word when you meet, and my translation says, or when you, it's it's kind of the idea is is just bumping into someone on the street. Oh, there you are. We don't really plan for trials. 
God doesn't give us the luxury of scheduling. God, I've got some time mid-April. You know, the weather's going to start to break. I can handle a trial, or maybe summertime. I've got some, some time in the schedule then. But right now, it's not convenient. No, no, no. We, we bump into these things, and they don't come at the most convenient of times. And, and notice that there's a command here. Right off the bat, James starts with the imperatives. He says, count it, or consider it all joy. The idea is there is that we have a choice we, we don't have a choice that these things are going to come our way, but we do have a choice in how we're going to respond to them. And he says, I want you to do something. I want you to consider it joy when you meet these things. You and I have a choice every single day when life's curveballs come at us. We can choose to get bitter and angry and resentful. Or we can choose to allow these things to be a springboard for our faith to develop character and make us more like Jesus. And that's where James is going to go with this. By the way, he says brothers. That, that's the Greek word, um, for anybody who cares, that's the Greek word, the plural of the Greek word, adelphos. And, it's, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a word that encompasses both men and women. So even though this says brothers in the Greek there, he's talking to all of us. So there's none of us that get out of this command. There's none of us that this doesn't apply to. He also says, count it all joy when you meet trials, not if. I want you to know, if, if someone told you when you came to Jesus and, and you became a Christian that your life would be easy and somehow smooth sailing from here on out and that, that Jesus' job was to, to make your life uh, smooth sailing and no troubles at all, I, I, I hate to break it to you, but you were sold a bill of goods. Um, when we choose to follow Jesus, life gets difficult. People began, as these Christians were finding out, to persecute you for your faith. And, and things are not easy. Jesus said it's, it's a narrow road. Broad is the way to destruction. It's a much easier path to walk away from Jesus. It's a much more difficult and narrow path to walk with Jesus. But he says, I want you to know, and, and, and he says, these trials, my translation says various, there are various kinds of trials. The word means a, a, a diversified or a manifold uh, type of trials. It could, uh, in fact, uh, one definition of this word, it could also mean many colored, uh, many faceted. There's all kinds of ways that, that difficulties come our, our way. In, in this context, he's talking about people who are specifically being persecuted for their faith and those who are being oppressed by, by those who are wealthy and, and uh, um, proud but for us, it could, it could refer to any experience of living in this fallen world. It could be sickness. It could be relationship problems, uh, slander and gossip. It could be disappointment or, or loss, difficulties with your children, loneliness. The list could go on and on and on. This is not referring to one particular set of troubles, but he says a manifold, a vari variety of kinds of troubles. And so his command then is to count it all joy. Consider it joy. It's, it's tough to swallow. Because I find it much easier to complain. I find it much easier to whine. But here he says, I want you to do this. I want you to consider this joy. When you walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, I want, I want to 
make clear what he's not saying, though. All joy, considered all joy, does not mean only joy. That is, that joy must be the only emotion that you experience when times are tough. No, 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 no. God created our emotions. Emotions are not bad or sinful in and of themselves. We can use them in sinful ways, but sadness and and grief and hurt, all those things are part of the experience of being human. When, When Mary and Martha lost their brother Lazarus, and he died, and Jesus showed up several days later, you didn't see him skipping down the lane with a big grin on his face. Hey, everybody, why, why the long faces? What's going on here? Consider it all joy. Come on. What did he do? He entered into their grief with them to the point where, the, where the, the sovereign son of God, the one who was about ready to raise Lazarus from the dead, he wept with them. John eleven thirty five says. He, he hurt. He joined in, them, joined in their suffering with them. So James is not telling us that when we go through difficult times, we can't, we can't cry, that we can't ask why, that we can't weep and, and feel pain. No, 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 no. But in the midst of that, what he wants us to do is understand that God is at work. Some of your translations say, consider it pure joy. I think that's a good translation. Because what I think he's getting at here is that we should have a complete and an unalloyed joy. His point is that our trials should be an occasion for genuine rejoicing. Derek Tidball says that this is an unnatural reaction to a deep and steady and unadulterated thankful trust in God. But if you're like me, my next question is, how, James? Okay, consider it all joy, Jeremiah. But how am I supposed to do that when I'm, when I'm hurting? When I have this loss? When I, when I can't seem to ever hear good news from the doctor? When I can't get a handle on my finances year in and year out? How, how am I supposed to consider this joy, James? Well, verse 3 points us in that direction and shows us that God has a clear purpose. So he links, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for or because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Here's how you can take confidence and be joyful in the midst of your trials, because you know something. You have become confident that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This is why over and over and over again, we point back to knowing God's word and being confident and resting our, our everything in what he says. Because it starts with knowledge. He says, you know something. You have come to settle on this fact. You know that going through these things, they produce character in you. How can we rejoice in the midst of such difficulty? Because we can be confident that God is using these trials to perfect our faith and to make us more like Jesus. Knowing that our sovereign God as a purpose changes everything. This is not randomness flying our way. This is not stuff that God didn't see coming. That he's scrambling around trying to somehow make sense and turn into good. And He's got purpose. 
And he says, I've allowed this into your life at this time for a purpose. Because I know that the testing of your faith is going to produce character. Uh, I wish, I wish I became most like Jesus when I was vacationing on the beach, taking a nap in the sun. I wish that character was most, most, most defined in me when everything was going good at home, I had plenty of money, and life was happy and smooth. But I have learned thus far in my spiritual journey that I cling most closely to the cross of my Savior when I am at the end of my rope, when I've run out of answers, when I've run out of resources in and of myself. And I know, I know that God has put me in that place for a particular reason, to shape me into the image of Christ, to forge character in me that otherwise would not be developed. He is not saying, hear this carefully, he is not saying, I don't believe that we need to rejoice that that thing has happened. And I think that there's a careful distinction. We're not going to say, I'm happy that grandma's in the hospital. It's good that she's sick. Hallelujah. We're not saying that. I don't think James is saying that. A number of years ago, Soon after my wife and I were married, uh, it was 2001, and we were excited to find out that she was expecting. We found out on our anniversary. It was great, because I, I, I didn't even have to get her a gift that year. I'm like, here's a gift, baby. <laughs> we're going to have a baby. It was an exciting time, and right, right off the bat, we were telling everybody. We, we called our family, and we let them know, and we were, we were sharing the good news. We were so excited. We were already looking at baby books. At, okay, how, how, you know, where's the ad at two weeks? You know, how, how little, you know, size of a pencil tip. And I mean, we're just so excited that, that this is happening. And um, after two weeks on, on, on Halloween Day, October 31st, my wife woke up in excruciating pain. She, she couldn't even stand up. And, and I didn't know what to do. I'm a 21-year-old kid. We, I, I, I didn't have any clue. We, we, we got her to the car, though, and we drove to the hospital and waited and waited and waited for the doctor and then waited and waited and waited for him to come back in. And the doctor came in and, and said, I, I'm sorry to tell you this, but your wife is miscarrying. And that was, that was just devastating to us, even though we weren't, that far along, we were already so excited and, and, and had told people. And, and, and all of a sudden now, this just didn't have any answers. And I don't think that God is calling us to say, I'm, I'm thankful for, for this. But what he's telling us is that even in the midst of those times, we can still rejoice. And I look back and I can think of, Blessings that God brought. Other people into our life uh, drew us closer together as a couple. And, and so many things He taught us during those dark, dark days. But I want you to know James is not telling us here that we need to be grateful for that thing, but grateful in the midst of those things. 
and rejoicing in the midst of those things. And he's, he says, when you do that, when you make this choice, then what I'm saying is, is that it will produce within you, he says, steadfastness. Some of your translations may say patience or endurance. And that's the idea here. It's the, the capacity to hold on. It's a spiritual toughness. Paul David Tripp says, he says, it's, it's like having, it's not a resignation, you know, a case, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be, but it's, it's having a fixed direction and a firmness of purpose no matter what. It's walking with God and staying close to your Savior in these times. There's another great scripture that supports this. I think it's in your notes, Romans 5, 3 through 5. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Not just for the sake of rejoicing, but notice what he says. Because we know something. Again, it starts with our head and knowing truth. He says, knowing that this suffering produces endurance. And, then, and he's going to actually explain a little bit more than James does. He says, this endurance produces character. And then the character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out on our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. The Apostle Paul teaches it. James teaches it. We're going to see it again. If you read 1 Peter 1, for example, he's going to talk about it. That these times, if we respond in the right way, in trust and dependence upon God, they forge character in our lives that would never, ever, ever otherwise be developed. And Paul introduces the idea of the Holy Spirit into the mix. And we're reminded that we don't, we don't walk through these alone. We need to depend upon the Spirit of God that He's going to give us the grace when we don't feel like getting out of bed, when we don't feel like praying, when we don't feel like loving our neighbor as ourselves. He gives us the grace to take one day at a time and to keep on keeping on. And then the outcome of all this, point number three, is a genuine maturity. A genuine maturity. So he says, back in James 1, verse 3, he says that faith is, or verse 2 says that faith is producing steadfastness. And then we're to let that steadfastness have its full effect, come to full fruition in our life. And he says, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Again, notice verse 4. It's a choice. If we choose to let that steadfastness, that endurance, that patience continue to build and blossom, when we let it have its full effect, he says that you're going to be brought to a place of spiritual maturity. He doesn't, by, by perfect, that's what he's talking about. He's not saying that we're going to reach sinless perfection here on earth. No, he's not saying that. But he says when we rest confidently in God's grace, putting our trust in Him, knowing that He is at work in our lives. We're going to be at the place where we lack nothing spiritually and that we know then the next time and the next time and the next time that these things come our way. Oh, here it is. It's back again, another trial. But I I know something. I know God's training me here. I know he's going to use this to make me more like Jesus. I don't have other answers. And oftentimes we don't have other why answers. God, why did this happen? Why is this going on? We need to remember, God never told Job why he allowed those things into Job's life. 
And he oftentimes doesn't tell us. But we can know this. We can know that when these things come, that his goal is to make us more like Jesus. This idea of its full effect, or uh, some of your translations say perfect work. Uh, One writer says that this here summarizes the many dimensions of the ideal Christian character. And one Bible translation, I think, captures this fairly well. It says, let endurance perfect its work in you, that you may become perfected. I don't know if you've made this discovery in your own life, but I've discovered for me that (laughs) I haven't learned everything yet. I'm not perfect. I'm a fallen, sinful person who has a, a long way to go in my walk with Jesus. And so God knows that I need some of this stuff. I need some of these things in my life to bring me closer and closer to the kind of man he wants to make me into. And if our true goal, David Platt says, if our true goal is to know God and be conformed into his likeness, then we can take joy in trials because we can know no matter how tough these trials are, they're moving us toward our goal. So I want to ask you this morning, what's your response to what God is allowing in your life? Because you have a choice today. And maybe everything is smooth right now and everything is going great. I want to be the bearer of bad news, but it's not always going to be that way. And you're going to bump up into something, maybe today, maybe next week, maybe next year, maybe 10 years from now. And you're going to be at the end of your rope and you're going to say, I don't know what's going on. You're not going to have answers. You're not going to have a clue what to do. But you've you got to turn here, I think, if you're going to have any hope at all. And you'll be able to rest in God knowing that he is at work shaping you to be more like your son. You have a choice when you encounter these trials. You can get bitter. You can pursue a path of of anger and, and let that just fester in your soul. Or you can choose to turn to God and hope in him knowing that he is at work for your good and for his glory. And I I hope that's the path you take. That's my prayer today. Let's bow. God, I I know in a a room with a, a crowd this size, there are people who are hurting very deeply today. Maybe it's a been a long ongoing thing. Maybe it's just fresh and raw. But you tell us in your word that you are at work. You're up to something. We don't always get the big picture. We get little puzzle pieces here and there, and we don't always see it all assembled. I, I, I trust that one day in, in glory we'll be able to step back and say, ah, that's what the puzzle looks like altogether. But for the time being, God, may we trust you as we walk through whatever it is that we're walking through. And, and may we remember that you are purposefully and, and intentionally shaping us into the image of Jesus. Give us, give us the heart to respond properly. May we, may we rest on the power of your Holy Spirit to confidently trust you 
as you're shaping us in the image of Jesus. Thank you, God, for your word and for this, these truths here today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. God bless. You're dismissed.